Today is January 6th of 2023. Hey, I can say 2023 now without making a mistake. Welcome, everyone. This is the Chapter 49 podcast. We're back from our holiday hiatus. Uh, Duncan Giles had all that use or lose leave to take. He has now taken it, and we are now ready for a new year. And Duncan, you know, I, I, I do believe that when we come into a new year, there's always something happening. And this time it's the House of Representatives. As we speak now, it may have all been settled by the time people listen or watch this, but as we speak now in the morning of January 6th, House of Representatives still does not have a speaker and they can't function without a speaker. But they're looking for a compromise candidate. And I saw an interesting rumor. There is a draft Duncan Giles movement now to become the Speaker of the House. I appreciate those supporters out there who want to put me in as Speaker, but I've never been that drunk or uh, been judged that nuts. Now, I've, it's it's just, it's like watching political history. You and I are political junkies and we watch this kind of thing and it's just, it's fascinating in a way. But no, I, uh, if it, to paraphrase LBJ, if nominated, I shall not run. If elected, I shall not serve. But well, I don't think there's much of a chance. Well, we are making a joke about this, as I hope you all know. But uh, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, just, you know, you don't have to be a member of the House to be the Speaker, which people don't know, although everyone so far has been. Uh, I I just have to wonder what's going to happen next. And, it, and we'll talk more about dysfunction in the Congress and how that has an impact on us. Uh, but I I, uh, I I do think that it's worth watching what's happening now. But I want to start off this podcast uh, by saying a couple of things. First of all, we, again, had this hiatus for the, the holidays, and Duncan was off. Well, next week I am busy, so we will not have a podcast next week. So we will be back in about two weeks with our next uh, Chapter 49 podcast. Uh, I want to talk, uh, first of all, about our subjects for the day always pay. And pay is very important for everyone, uh, whether you're retired and getting an annuity or you are working. Uh, the pay raise is effective in 2023. Now, I always had this confusion when I was working and trying to explain this to people. When there is a pay raise and it's effective in the new year and people get their first paycheck in January and do not find the pay raise there, there is a reason for that. You want to explain that to us? Yeah, yeah, we're trying to uh, eliminate some confusion among people because I get calls every year about this. I thought we had a pay raise. I just got my pay. It's the same rate. Well, that's because this is pay. Your first pay in January is for your last pay period in 2022. So your first pay is going to be later in 2023. Later this month is when it'll show up. So you're going to have that lag. There's always going to be that lag because of when our paychecks are uh, and things of that nature. But it, it is coming. We did get a raise, and it will be there in your second check in January. And I think the, the way to look at this is you have to have a full pay period in the month of January in the new year before it's effective. Then, of course, you have that lag until that next check. So uh, there's always that lag. Plus, I think another thing you might want to talk about, Duncan, is that the new year brings some other changes in your insurance, health insurance, and other insurance you may have through the government, uh, thrift savings plan, uh, deductions. You know, I, I think the, the word here is check your leave and earnings statement for those changes as well. 
Exactly. Go on the uh, EPP, the Employee Personnel page uh, that you have access to off of the IRS homepage uh, and check those because your you know health insurance premiums change every single year. Your and it's going to be based on the elections that you made or let roll over uh, for last year's open season. You're going to have a change in the amount of thrift savings that's taken out just because that's based on a percentage of your pay in most cases. And you, you know, because your pay has gone up, it's very possible that your thrift contributions have gone up too, which is never a bad thing, but it's going to impact your bottom line on your paycheck. So you want to check all these things to make sure it's where you want. And then, you know, the uh, employee personnel page, the EPP is great for doing self-service. You know, you can change if your withholdings aren't exactly correct or, you want to move up or down your TSP contributions or change your address or whatever it is, you can do that through that service just by clicking the self-service button. Okay. And if you have any questions on that, uh, check with uh, any NT stewards for Chapter 49 or your local uh, chapter officials. Uh, If you're watching or listening outside the state of Indiana, uh, they should have the answers for you. But we wanted to give you an overview here. So don't expect that pay raise right away. And here's the thing. Sometimes those deductions change. So you actually have a reduction in your pay. So just be aware that's possible. Absolutely. Especially with insurance premiums. Uh, When those go up and your pay doesn't go up as much, it is absolutely possible uh, for you to actually be taking home a little bit less. So that's why you want to Take a look at it. And this is not NTU's function to be talking about this, but it's one of those things that because we have so few people in personnel anymore, they're just like the rest of the service. There's not enough people to do it. We have to take it upon ourselves to be experts in this as well. Yeah, and we always try to answer questions. Yeah, we, we're not in charge. We didn't make the decisions, okay? <laughs> we, yeah, if it goes up, we'll take credit. If it goes down, we won't. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. It's simply saying, I remember, Duncan, I was at a co-worker uh, when, when I was working in toll-free, and she would always joke about the fact we'd ask her when she's going to retire. She goes, well, you know, I, I, I can't retire because I don't know where the personnel office was. And it was right down the hall. It was a big joke. Well, if she was trying to retire today, she'd never retire. She could never find the personnel office. Yeah, but, and now everything's automated. And, um, you know, hopefully once you do put in your papers, you'll be able to be contacted by a best specialist in a reasonable amount of time. It's just, and again, I'm not bashing anybody in personnel at all. Those folks are doing the best that they can with the limited numbers that they have. But it's just, you know, it's just like any any other position that we have, whether it's on the phone, in the field, TAS, anywhere. Everybody's shorthanded. And whether it's private sector or government, internal or external, it's almost like uh, every single operation will give you every option except talking to a human being, and they'll give you that last option if if, if it's available at all. But, uh, yeah, getting to talk to a, to a human being on these things sometimes is, is difficult to do. Let's talk about hiring. You know, we've talked about the fact that the IRS has money to hire now, uh, but hiring is not always a quick process, and that uh, – that money that was put in the Inflation Reduction Act uh, has only been in place for a short period of time. So what can you tell us about what the service is doing or is able to do right now as far as getting started some of this hiring that has been promised with the money provided by Congress? Yeah, they're really, the uh, leadership of the service is really trying. I do give them 
um, credit for that. And they've had some plans in place for when, when and if they did get the money that they eventually did. But it's just like, you know, anything else, you can't go from zero to 60 in one second. It's going to take a while. And that's what's happening at this point uh, for, you know, we are doing some direct hires for places like the service centers. I'm hearing that um, certain accounts management functions where they you know have people on the phones answering taxpayer calls are also going to be having direct hire authority as well, which basically means. You can interview them and hire them, and if they pass a background check, they're good. So we're we're hoping that to see more and more of this. But for you know a lot of positions, um, be they internal or external, it just takes a while. And if anybody's had any experience on applying for jobs on USA Jobs, you you realize that it's not unique to the IRS, and it's just uh, time. It, it just takes a lot of time, and we wish it was cut down, and I think the service is doing what they can to cut that time frame down because they do want to add more people. But we just don't know how long it's going to take. So, And then once it does, you know, once we do have that, who's going to be the instructors for these people? Who's going to be the OJIs, the, uh, you know, the coaches, things like that? You're going to have to take experienced people off of what they're doing to mentor them. So it's going to be a couple of year process before we get geared up to where we need to be if we're lucky enough to do that. Well, and that's a really interesting conundrum you bring up because this has happened before within the service. You know, when there's a big ramp up of hiring, it's been a long time since IRS has done that. But when there has been that, you make a good point. The best people are normally mined to do the instructing, and you want that, and also mined for the uh, on-the-job instruction once people have finished their training class so they can move into their job and feel comfortable with that. But those are the best people. You take them offline, your best people are gone. Some of your productivity may lag because you have fewer people and some of your more productive people are now on another project. I always loved teaching, and, and I that was something I always enjoyed doing one of the great assignments I have. And I know that, you know, back where I had worked regularly, that uh, that work started to pile up. So it, it is it is uh, not an easy thing to do. I think there have been some movements to uh, to try to bring retirees back and, and, uh, and instruct. I was actually offered that and politely said, no, I am retired. <laughs> I don't think I can go back and do that. But uh, there have not been a lot of retirees willing to come back and do that. Yeah, and then you get the problem with the re, um, the rehired annuitants, as they're called, the retirees, is that the fact that we don't, you know, depending upon how long they've been retired and what was their position when they retired, if they were in management or second-level management, something like that, they may not be as familiar as they used to be with how the jobs are actually done on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's where your most experienced and successful people that are actually doing the job day-to-day -day make the best instructors. And that's what we always you know, push for. But like you said, it's a trade-off because your production is going to go down. So there aren't any great answers, and it's not a quick process. But we're very hopeful that it will continue to move forward in a positive way. You know, Duncan, I started working for IRS in 1983, and during my entire career, and since I've retired, I keep hearing proposals to change the hiring process, make it shorter, make it more efficient, make it easier. Still hasn't happened, has it? 
We, um, in the last contract, we had a lot of discussion with IRS and we came to what we hoped for them. We gave them a lot of what they asked for in speeding up the hiring process. But you're still going with federal government hiring rules, you know, by OPM dictates. And so that's going to, by necessity, slow the process down. We're doing everything that we can within the law, within the regulations to speed it up. Uh, When I say we, I'm saying the IRS as a whole, but I still think it takes quite a long time. And I just wish they could uh, do something to try and speed the process up. I'm glad you mentioned that because quite often unions get the blame for the lag in hiring. (laughs) And here's an example where NTEU was more than willing to go back and forth with Tradeoff and allow the, the management to have a more streamlined process to hire. So, I mean, unions like NTEU are not part of the problem. It is a government process that is the problem, I would say. Would you agree? I, I would wholeheartedly agree. Um, you put it very, very well. It, and like I said, during those negotiations, we were, you know, we understood where they were trying to go. There was a lot of interest-based in this last negotiation for the national agreement, the 2022 national agreement, which I think we were all happy about and proud of because we were trying to get to where we could, you know, help each other with their needs. And they're like, we need help with hiring. We need to speed it up. Okay, what can we do to help speed up hiring? Because we, it's in everyone's interest to get more people here at the service so we can do the jobs that we should be doing. Yeah, and I, and I think that's really important because I, I wish I could go back and listen to some of those podcasts that we recorded uh, when you were describing the early parts of the, <laughs> of the negotiations. <laughs> or things. But interest-based bargaining, a lot of people don't know what you mean when you say that. What that basically means is negotiating sometimes everybody kind of holds back on what they really want and they're really willing to give to get it. And interest-based bargaining, the guys, okay, both sides lay everything out at the very beginning of what they want and what they're willing to give up to get it, and that speeds the process up. So once you went to interest-based bargaining, which it took a while to get there, you did make yeah. quick progress. Yeah, we it was it was uh, once once we got together in person instead of negotiating over Zoom. And if anybody ever wants to do anything over Zoom, you know it like negotiations. I wish you luck, and you should start drinking now because it's not fun and it's not productive. But no. once you got it in person and we were able to do that, we are good. Yeah, negotiating on Zoom would not be good. Now, Dan, Duncan and I, just for your information, we've been doing our podcast on Zoom ever since it started, like two and a half, three years ago, almost three years ago now. So we have been on Zoom, but it's a little different doing a podcast on Zoom and negotiating on Zoom. <laughs> it's a little hard to read the other side when you're, you're somebody can be doodling um, you know, when they're not on camera. So. <laughs> Uh, how much attention are people really paying to what's going on? Well, let's move on. I want to talk about something that is somewhat tied to what's going on in Congress or not going on in Congress. You may have heard some political talk, especially with this House of Representatives spat over the speakership, that there are people in the House who say the first meaningful vote they want to take on an issue once the House is organized, so they want to go ahead, they want to scrap that $80 billion over eight years that we talked about that will be used for hiring and, and some IT upgrades for the IRS. Uh, you know, there's all this crazy talk about, you know, people knocking on your door and bursting through your door from the IRS to collect money, and it's all lunacy, but it's still 
out there, and there are some people, sadly, who believe it. So the House says they're going to take this vote. They may well do that. But I think we need to put that in perspective, Duncan. Just because the House votes for it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah, and that's one of the things. Even if the House puts it up for a vote, A, would it pass? And B, even if it did pass, I wouldn't see it passing the Senate, and it certainly wouldn't be something that President Biden, I wouldn't imagine, would sign off on it. Um, You know, this is something that, for those who have been with the service a long time, we're used to this. Um, you know, we're used to being the ones that get kicked around all the time. We're we're a favorite punching bag of politicians. It's just part of the nature of the job. And so you hear a lot of this stuff, and you have to just let it go in one ear and out the other. We're certainly going to monitor this. National NTU uh, will be, you know, making sure, you know, keeping an ear to the ground, making sure that we're taking care of, but, you know, for this to actually come to realization, there would have to be a lot of things clicking that I just don't see. All right. So basically when you hear this talk and you see even uh, the house voting to scrap this 80 billion over eight years, doesn't mean it's going to happen. And NTU is keeping a very close eye on this. We have a great legislative department and our national president, Tony Reardon has his a laser focus and all this. So I will keep you posted. But at this point, even though you'll hear talk and even see a vote in the House on this, even if it does pass, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen. So just uh, just be aware of what's going on behind the scenes. Right. And, uh, you know, with this dysfunction that we're seeing in the House of Representatives, one thing that happened, but the last time you and I had a podcast, the budget was not yet in place. After uh, we finished our last podcast, the budget was passed by the Congress. President signed it, and it is now in place. We do have a budget through the end of September. That's the good news. The bad news is we're going to have to have a budget after September of this year, beginning October 1st of the calendar year, beginning of the new fiscal year. So, number one, there's going to have to be a new budget with the Congress as is constituted today. And sometime this year, it's never clear when this will happen because it's all uh, subject to various various economic conditions. But at some point this year, there's going to have to be a vote on the debt limit again. Here we go again. So there there are two very important things that could impact federal employees that are going to be happening this year. And NTEU is going to keep a close eye on this, and we will alert you if uh, we feel you need to start contacting your own representatives about an issue like that yeah and it's it's going to be um you know i think the ancient chinese proverb may you live in interesting times is a uh, actually a curse and i think we're living a little bit in that right now um you know getting a lot of talk as well we want to have separate appropriation bills instead of one big omnibus bill i'm all for that that's what congress should be doing both the House and the Senate. So I think that would be wonderful. Have a robust discussion about it. Figure out what needs to be done. Absolutely. I totally understand that. But you can't go into it saying, okay, well, our our thought is we want to shut the government down. We don't want to pass anything. No, that's not, that's not the way to govern. And playing with the debt ceiling, which to remind folks, again, is just paying the bills that the government's already incurred. This isn't talking about new debt. This is strictly low, you know, raising the debt limit 
so that we can pay what the United States has already incurred in debts. Um, it's sort of like saying, okay, heck with it. I'm not going to pay my mortgage anymore, or my credit cards or anything like that. You know, that does not tend to be healthy for any individual for their credit rating or things of that nature. And it certainly wouldn't be good policy, uh, I believe, and just about every economist I've ever heard uh, would say that that would be good for the United States. So we just have to hope that folks take a look at this rationally and make sure to take care of the business that they need to do. Yeah, I was a manager in 2011 when we hit the precipice, almost had a problem with the debt limit. And from all, everything I was hearing from the management chain, Duncan, they had no idea what would happen. We wouldn't. We didn't know how many bills we could pay, and which ones we couldn't pay. It had never happened before, and uh, it would be mayhem. And and you you mo mentioned the most important thing. It would be devastating to the economy. It's one of those things. That, you know, the, the full faith and credit of the U.S. would never be the same. It's like once that happens. You can't take it back. It's done. So uh, this is very serious in many ways. You know, it's very possible and many federal employees would have to be furloughed, at least temporarily, uh, would uh, not be able to be paid. And we don't know which ones would, which ones wouldn't. It's not like a government shutdown. We, we know pretty much how that works. We don't know how a debt limit uh, ceiling not being raised would work. So uh, we just want to know that's another issue coming up this year that we will keep a close eye on that for you. Another thing that happened, and you can credit NTEU for having something to do with this, the uh, IRS uh, announced late in, in 2022 that the standard mileage rate for 2023, the standard mileage rate is going to go up to 65 and a half cents per mile. There was a time when after that mileage rate was set, the General Services Administration would take their time before uh, raising the reimbursement rate for travel. And trans, you know, when you're using your personally owned car for, for business, so you would get reimbursed for those miles. Well, Duncan, you can say NTEU pushed very hard for this, and now the GSA automatically goes along with the increase in the standard mileage rate, which is a good thing for people who do have to use their own cars for, for, for government business. Absolutely. Yeah, I give a lot of credit to National President Tony Reardon, uh, you know, Vice President Doreen Greenwald, to press GSA for this. Because GSA, I, I can't remember a year in my 28 where they didn't raise it once the IRS said, okay, this is what it's set for for private businesses and things of that nature, where GSA didn't follow suit. It just, as you mentioned, how long did it take them to follow suit? Sometimes it was days, sometimes it was weeks, occasionally it was months. But due to the uh, you know pressure that NTU put on, GSA has recognized they might as well go ahead and just roll this in automatically and make it easier on everybody. So we're very glad that A, it was raised, and B, that it is now automatically matched for the federal government just to make things easier for everybody. And I give Tony and Doreen a lot of credit for that. So when you turn in your mileage reimbursement, it will be 65 and a half cents a mile beginning January 1 of 2023. So you can uh, thank NTU for making sure that happens. I can remember, Duncan, years when it took months for GSA to catch up on that. Uh, yeah, it's, it was ridiculous. So that has changed, and that is, is good news. Last issue I would like you to talk about. We have been updating people on this regularly on our 
Facebook page. Let me put in a plug for that. If you want to follow or like our Facebook page, just uh, search on Facebook, NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. All that needs to be in there. Uh, You can follow or like our Facebook page, and we give you these updates regularly. There's a remote work pilot in the works, and, you know, People want to work at a lot of people want to work at home even more than they're allowed to now. This pilot will allow people to do that, so there's obviously a lot of interest in it. But what do we know about uh, that remote work pilot as it stands right now? Well, the the key phrase that everybody needs to remember is this is a pilot, and due to federal labor laws, when and statutes, things of that nature, when something is a pilot management, in this case, IRS management, has a great deal of leeway in who can participate in this particular pilot. Because a lot of people are saying, well, you know, I should be able to do it. You know, basically, if you live further out than 50 miles from your post of duty, you're not going to be able to do it. If you have any uh, contact with taxpayers at all, you're not going to be able to be eligible for this. Um, and that's caused a lot of confusion, not just among employees, but among management as well, because there's been a whole lot of, you know, I can't tell you the number of employees I've talked to that went ahead, applied, were approved, and now it's revoked because management's gotten further guidance on this. So, yeah, just know that NTU nationally and here locally, and I'm sure all of my brethren across the country agree that you know this is a great thing to work basically from home the vast majority of positions that we have do not need to have coming into a specific office twice a pay period to be able to do this so we're constantly pushing for this envelope to be you know be larger have more people involved and have more positions involved and we're hopeful that in the future and hopefully near future We'll be able to increase that. Yeah, and NTU has been very consistent on this all the way back to the mid-1990s, what we then call FlexiPlace was rolled out. NTEU has been a proponent of allowing people to work at home to the extent possible. And this pilot is a step forward, but it is just a pilot. We need to keep that in mind. And uh, NTU has heard from the management at the bargaining table on this. And what the management has said is that once this pilot is done and and they have information and data on this, it is the management's intention to expand this ability to work at home, the telework option. So if there's any good news there long-term, that's where you find it. Yeah, and we're going to be holding their feet to the fire on that particular statement because we do believe, and as people know, if you're – you know, if you're a good employee, you're going to be a good employee, whether you're at home, whether you're in the office, whatever it takes. So why not let people save money on the commute, save, you know, time and job satisfaction. And, you know, we talked earlier about hiring and this would certainly help, I would think, in recruitment as well. So it's just something that I think is very valuable and hopefully it'll be expanded to uh, more employees and more positions sooner rather than later. And we'll keep an eye on this. It, uh, it's going to take a while for this pilot to work. It's going to take many months. So once the data is in, we'll, we'll certainly let you know and, and, and keep you updated on the progress of that. Doug, it is time for our final comments. I'm going to start this time because we are recording this on January 6th. It's been two years since the attack on the Capitol. And I, ha- I remember reading a long statement 
that I had wanted to make uh, as a result of that as to what that means for the future. And we are still not finished dealing with what happened on January 6th. Uh, There's still a lot we still have to learn. Uh, There are still criminal investigations going on. Uh, uh, There was a committee in the House that has just wrapped up their work on what happened on January 6th. And we have to keep in mind that those those people who did security at the, at the Capitol, those police officers, you know, they're federal employees. So they're they're like and there are our sisters and brothers in the federal service. Some of them died. Some of them died after the fact as a result of the horrible mental anguish that came after that. Uh, so I think we all need to keep in mind that what we need to do going forward is make sure that there is never a January 6th again, and that the government, all levels of government, need to be prepared if there is some indication something like that will happen. And we're seeing more and more government reports indicating that there were parts of the government that did not do what they should have done in terms of what they knew from their intelligence and what they did to prepare for January 6th. It wasn't they didn't do the preparation they should. That evidence is becoming rather obvious now. And the question now is how do we, as a government, prevent that from, from happening again? So I hope our lessons learned will continue and that the government and the Justice Department continues. And they've, they've had hundreds of people already sentenced and, and facing trial over that. And there's more to come from what I understand uh, just from the news reports. So January 6th is something we'll never forget, and we need to learn from that, and that's my final comment. I think that's very well said, Larry. Basically, what I want to touch on today is, you know, the holidays are now past, um, and a lot of people during this time of year, it's like, okay, they geared up for the holidays, they were excited, and now it's sort of like a letdown, and they may not be seeing friends or family as much as possible, and you know, there could be depression come in. So I'm going to beat the drum once again for mental health. Um, I think it's extremely important that you keep your mental health as well as your physical health. And if you have issues, things of that nature, or need somebody to talk to, you know, the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, is there for you. You can talk to a counselor. You know, I'm, I'm a huge believer in talking to mental health professionals. I have a daughter who's a mental health professional. And she does a wonderful job in helping people. And I just think it's one of those things that's very worthwhile. Your mental health is as important as your physical health. So if this does impact you in this time of year or you just, you know, generally feeling down, depressed, something of that nature and need somebody to talk to, by all means, utilize it. That's what this is for. And we want you to be, um, you know, as good as possible for coming back here and, uh, and playing for the rest of the year. With the IRS, because it's always something fun, and we never know what's going to happen. Nothing like fun, right, Duncan? Nothing like fun. Exactly. I I, I told the story before, and I'll say it again. I was working for the government in the 1980s when the Employee Assistance Program was established. And I remember hearing the talk about, well, you know, the executives thought a few people may need this. We want to make it available. What the service found was there was a huge... (laughs) response a lot of people needed that help and uh you could do it anonymously through the employee assistance program not let your managers know so um you know i think it's important that we understand that there are people in need of help and i 
I, I thank Duncan for once again reminding people mental health is important. Having uh, someone in your family involved helps, but I think in general, mental health is one of the most important parts of health. And uh, Duncan Giles, thank you very much for joining us again. We'll be back in two weeks with another Chapter 49 podcast. Again, if you have any comments on this podcast, feel free to send Duncan Giles an email. He has an email on the regular email system, not necessarily the government system. You can go to nteu49 at aol.com, and you can send a message to Duncan about this podcast, uh, feedback on it, suggestions you might have for topics, or just any question you might have for him. So we uh, thank you again for watching and listening. It's the only reason Duncan and I take the time out to do this podcast, because the numbers show there are people watching and listening, and that's why we take the time to do it. So please, in the meantime, be safe and be kind.